Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm carrying entirely too much stuff up here. So, uh, so the plan for today, guys, is to um, is to uh, for me to talk about what happened in the United Arab Emirates when I was there a couple weeks ago, and then also I'm going to tie in. Um, if you want to turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 146, I'm going to tie in that passage this morning as well. And I was looking for a passage that um, I could do this morning in conjunction with uh, the trip that I took a couple weeks ago to the uh, to the UAE. And so I'll be talking about um, both things, the trip. I'm going to discuss the trip first, and then we'll get into the passage, and then we'll kind of talk about the trip a little bit more as we go through the passage this morning. And then the goal this morning is to uh, try to end at least a little bit early so we can begin to get this room set up for um, what's going to happen afterwards with the uh, with the, um, the the gift drive. And I don't want to I don't want to start this morning like on a sour note, but I have to say this: um, I'm just really disappointed in the number of people that are planning to stay after today to help us with this gift drive and with the lunch with these with these families. Um, I mentioned to you guys a few weeks ago that we had a bunch of you guys sign up to go and do the take the take the food to these homes, and then like a like a third of the ones that signed up actually showed up, and then um, we're trying to really push like let's put a face with our church and like really put ourselves out there and sit with these families and 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 serve them and talk with them, and I don't know what else to do. I mean, it's like we're putting it before you, and we get like four or five that want to be a part of it and actually sign up to help. And I saw the hands, and I'm just going, really? Like, I don't know what else to do with it. And so I just put it before you and say, look, I don't know what's going on with that, um, but we'd love to have you. This is a privilege to serve um, this afternoon with these families. And um, I don't get angry often. But there are certain things that just grieve me and make me kind of upset, you know, as a pastor. And, um, and so I know we got busy lives. We're busy. I get it. But if there's any way you can be here this afternoon to help us serve these families, I'm going to ask you to make it a priority to actually do it and to be here to help us serve these families. So they have someone that they have, there's a face behind it. It's not just a, a, a gift drive just put on by this institutional church. But it's actually, there's a face behind it, and there are people that love Jesus behind it um, and really want to serve them in that way. And so um, that's all I'll say about it. Um, but I, I really hope that, uh, that some of you um, can maybe change plans and be here because um, I just think you'll be, you'll be blessed. Like, you'll be blessed by, I think, what takes place here this afternoon. And so I encourage you um, to be here for that. Um, if you need to text your mom and dad, say, hey, mom and dad, let's change plans. I'm going to be here. Do it if you need to now. So I know it's hard to switch gears from, like, I don't like being confrontational at the beginning of a talk, right? But um, I don't know what else to say about that. So I'll move into our discussion about what's gonna, what uh, the mission trip I went on a couple weeks ago. And then um, we'll talk about Psalm chapter 146. And so... Uh, as you guys know, I left um, a couple weeks ago to go to the United Arab Emirates, and it was a mission trip unlike others I've been a part of. So most of the time when I do mission, mission trip, I'm like the one planning, I'm the one leading it, 
And I'll normally have a handful to several handfuls of high school students with me when I go, um, wherever I go. But this was not like that. This was a, a vision trip. Um, our, our missions pastor, Chase Bauer, said, we're going to go and we're going to serve, uh, we're going to minister to missionaries that we have over in the UAE as a church, and we are going to go and look at some opportunities for some people that are thinking about going to a place like that to, to potentially be um, to work in missions. So that was the purpose of the trip. It was kind of like a different purpose of what I'm used to going overseas for, for a mission trip. And uh, so I want to show you where we were. Um, get up my next slide. This is a map of the Arabian Peninsula. Hopefully you, know where that, you guys know where that is, right? You know where that is, but part of the earth that is on, right? So um, the UAE is kind of like towards the middle over there to the east of uh, Saudi Arabia, um, the United, United Arab Emirates, and, uh, and fairly small country. And if you go to my next slide, you'll see more focused in. This is the UAE up close. And we were actually in um, Dubai, which is way up towards the top right. We were there for two days, and then we went over to Al-Line, which is um, due south of there, and that's on the border between uh, the UAE and Oman. We have some missionaries that are in Al-Line. And then just across the border in Oman, there's a town called Baremi, and that's where you'll hear about some missionaries that we have uh, stationed there. They're learning Arabic right now um, as they prepare to minister to that part of the world. Uh, so, uh, just so you know, um, when you think of the UAE or Dubai, and everyone thinks of like crazy buildings and skyscrapers and crazy building projects and stuff like that, I want to show you some pics of those things in a moment. Uh, but the UAE is 20%, only 20% Emirati, meaning 20% native Emirati people. Everyone else, 80% of the people that live there, are either from India, Pakistan, the U.S., Canada, Australia, people that work there. And so um, it's, it's very diverse racially, ethnically, but 20% of the people that live there are actually Emiratis. And then when you think of um, the UAE being very wealthy, it is very, very wealthy because of the oil they have there. But the um, Emiratis, if you're, if you're native Emirati, you get a check from the government because of how wealthy they are. So you just get like a salary for just being Emirati. Now you also have a job that's usually with the government, but um, they reserve their government jobs for Emirati people, and um, you get a very nice salary for Emirati. If you're a foreigner, then you do not get that privilege. And so it has this, this, these two different classes of people, very, very wealthy class if you're Emirati, but then also some poor if you're not Emirati. Um, so that's kind of how they have their... Uh, their country divided up. A little bit of history. Um, in 1971, there were um, seven what they call emirates, which are kind of like a tribal lingo. There were seven emirates, which is different territories of this part of the world. And they decided to become one nation under the leadership and guidance of this, this guy on my next slide here. He's sort of like their, um, if you can try to read that, this is Sheikh Zayed Bin Sultan Al Nayyan. Can you say that? So um, I don't know which, I know the first name is his title, right? But everything else, I guess, is a name. And uh, this is like their George Washington. He is the man who, who came about, he, he, he decided, let's try to join together. And they did this because of oil. And they joined together, these, did seven different emirates, um, so they could be stronger as a nation and share their wealth together. 
instead of being seven, seven separate uh, territories. And so really they look to him, they look to this man. You'll see pictures of this guy everywhere, inside of buildings, inside uh, stores, big posters. And it's not the kind of thing, like you think of Saddam Hussein, because Saddam Hussein was in charge of Iraq, and he would like mandate that everyone worship him and be like, we're going to have a statue of me here, here, and here, and posters of me everywhere. That's not how it is there, because they really do revere and respect this man. And they really do revere and respect the leaders they currently have in office now. And so they have a royal family. So this is not a democracy. Um, this man was not elected. He was inherited his position just based on his, his genes. And then, um, then now the people that are beneath him or after him are related to him uh, just through the family tree. And that's how they, they have their government set up. So in the last 25 years, uh, Dubai and the UAE has just exploded in economic wealth mainly because of oil, but also because of this man and his vision for the country. And so this is why he's revered by many people um, there in that part of the world. So um, if you see my next slide, this is, I want to talk to you about what we did, actually did in Dubai. Um, so you know it wasn't a vacation, because I didn't see the part of Dubai that you think of when you think of Dubai until the last six hours of my trip, all right? And before I got on the plane, we got to go see like that stuff. But everything else was like, it was like meetings, meetings, meetings. And it was great. And uh, this is just a view of just part of the city from uh, the hotel we stayed in, uh, just there in Dubai for a couple of nights. And uh, just a pretty modern city um, that you see there. If you go to my next slide, you'll see we took a tour of what's called the fish market. And uh, there was this humongous like fish head just laying on the table. And I was trying to get a photo and the guy helped me out and decided to hold the fish head so I could actually see it and take a picture of it. And I put that on Instagram. I think someone said it looks like uh, Toothless from How to Train a Dragon. So put that in your cartoon nightmares, all right? Um, so uh, we go to the fish market and uh, took a tour of that part of um, the city. And uh, then we also went to this other area where there's a market. Um, this is like one of the biggest, I don't know if it's official, but it's, they call it the biggest ring in the world. And if you can't get any perspective on that, it's the size of, like, what you guys tube down, down the Comal River in New Braunfels. Okay, it's that big. And, uh, and I don't think the diamond's real, but the gold's real. And um, so funny story about this situation. So I'm, I'm uh, we're doing this tour with these guys from Redeemer Church in Dubai. There's some Americans there that have planted a church called Redeemer Dubai. And so they're giving us a tour of part of the city, and this is part of the tour. And there's like five or six of us on our team and like maybe three or four of them. And we're walking through and the guy goes, yeah, that's, one of the, that's like the biggest ring in the world. Let's take a picture you want. So I go and take a picture of this ring, right? And I get close. And then I take the photo. And I was like, I'm going to take a closer up photo. So I take a closer up photo. And then I turn around. And the whole team is just gone, right? This is my first day in Dubai. And there, I see no one that I know at this point. And there's like five different places they could have gone. And so I'm walking around going, oh, man, like I'm, I'm, I'm like lost in the Middle East. This is not a good situation. And I'm just running through my head like a big white van pulling up with no windows and getting kidnapped and taken off to some cinder block room and like, you know, and getting interrogated or something, you know. And I'm like, what could happen to me? And, uh, and so I'm standing there and like the team just like they just didn't know I was still there. and They just like took off. And I have no way my phone is not even... 
um, on international yet at that point. It was the first day we were in Dubai. And so I have no way to call anyone on my phone. It's like totally useless. And so it took me 25 minutes to get on Wi-Fi where I could, you know, WhatsApp to our global missions pastor. And the funny thing is, they had no clue I was even missing, right? No clue. And so they actually had gotten to this, they'd gone to what was called the creek, which is like a creek, it's more, it's more like a river that flows into the Persian Gulf. And they had gotten on a boat and crossed that creek at that point, and uh, like several hundred yards across, and that's when they got my message. And they're like, oh, we left Dave. <laughs> So if you hear a story that Dave got lost, Dave did not get lost. Dave got left, all right? Just to, just to set the record straight on this, on this deal. Um, but we reunited, and I, my fears were, were, were allayed, so we're good to go. Um, so while in Dubai, we met with some pastors from Redeemer Church in Dubai, and, uh, and some great work being done there, and the purpose of that was just to, to um, give the guys that came with us on this trip a chance to meet with them and see if there's some potential um, ministry connections we can make at some point in the future with them. And uh, just some great guys that are doing some awesome work in that part of the world. Um, it's pretty amazing um, what they're doing in Dubai. They actually have to rent out a hotel ballroom at the Marriott Hotel to have church service every, they actually meet on Friday, not Sunday, because the Muslim Holy Day is Friday, and so Sunday is a work day for everyone, so you can't have church on Sunday, so you have to have it on Friday, just like the Muslims meet at the mosque on Friday, so churches have to meet on Friday morning, so Friday morning is their Sunday morning, and so Redeemer Dubai, they rent out a ballroom, and they actually have like a thousand people show up for their church service in the middle of this Muslim country. It's pretty amazing to think about. And I'll tell you, some of the, um, the religious law in the UAE is a little bit different. Like, I know you think of Muslim country, you think of like one category, like if you're a Christian, you're going to get like killed, right? That's how you think of a Muslim. That's not how it is in the UAE at all. Um, it is a Muslim country for sure, but um, there is still some freedom of religion for other people um, that are not Muslim. And so it is illegal for a Muslim to convert to another religion. So if you're Muslim and you convert to Christianity, you could be thrown out of the country. But it's very legal for a Christian to be a Christian in that part of the world. It's very strange. And so these Westerners can come in. They can have a church service out in the public eye. They can invite people. But there are many people from other parts of the world that can go to those church services and there's no harm done. But if you are a Muslim, a professing Muslim, and you decide to reject Islam and then embrace Christianity, there could be some consequences for that. There could be consequences for that. So it's amazing how these Christians are going in knowing that the people they're going to minister to, minister with, the people I'm inviting into relationship with Christ, for those people there could be some dire consequences if they follow Christ along with me. So you see just the, the, the weight of the mission they're a part of. And then, um, so churches can meet openly without much interference. Um, other things about the religious law in that country, there is still flogging, meaning getting whipped and stoned. 
And I don't mean with drugs. I mean with like rocks. Um, stones, if you're, that's, that's still part of their, uh, their, their criminal justice system for certain crimes. So there could be, if someone has uh, sex before marriage in that country, there could be flogging. Like, really, you could, have, you could be flogged for that in that country. Um, there could be flogging for committing adultery. Or it's illegal for a Muslim to drink alcohol. There could be flogging if you drink alcohol as a Muslim. Now, you still see alcohol being sold there. But it's mainly for people that are not Muslim. If you're a Muslim, you drink alcohol. In that country, you can get flogged for that. It's actually illegal for a Muslim to drink alcohol in that part of the world. If a woman wants to marry then she must get permission from her male guardian, if it's her father or whoever else, before she can marry someone. So a very strict uh, patriarchal society. And it is illegal for a Muslim to marry a non-Muslim. Something else interesting. And so if you ever go to Dubai or that part of the world, be, be wary of this. It is illegal to kiss in public there. So even like a little, you know, you know, friendly, like, you know, whatever. It's just, it's illegal there. You don't do that in that country. You don't show public displays of affection. And I've read some stories of some people getting actually thrown in the slammer for a little bit because they did those things. So um, just so you're aware of that, right? Um, so in spite of all of these strict rules, there is, there is still some great churches there doing some incredible work in that part of the world. Go to my next picture. This is a picture of... Um, Scott on the left, Marwan in the middle, and then Trey on the right met with these guys. So the two guys on the, on the outside are for, part of Redeemer Dubai. The guy in the middle is a very interesting story. The guy in the middle, Marwan, we met him, and he is very, he seems very American in how he speaks and talks, but he is from Iraqi descent. And so during the first Gulf War, like before you guys were even born, like back in the early, early 90s, um, his family was vacationing in uh, California. And while they're there, the war breaks out in Iraq, and his parents have to stay and file as refugees here in the U.S. And I'm telling you this because there's the current dialogue about refugees right now happening in our country. And I'm not saying this to make some political statement. I'm just trying to help you understand kind of like a different side to what God can do in the midst of these tragedies worldwide. So they file for refugee status. He's seven years old. So they, they get status as refugees in the U.S., and he grows up in San Diego as a refugee and becomes Americanized, and here's what happened. God used his family being over here in the States for him to become a Christian. His parents were not Christians. So he grows up in the States. He becomes a Christian in the U.S. as a refugee, and now he's 36, 37 years old, and now he feels called to go back to the Middle East where he's from originally and minister there and plant churches there. And his, his goal is to go back to, is to go to Lebanon, also a very dangerous place, and plant churches in a, in a town in a city called Beirut, big city in Lebanon. And so just hearing his passion, hearing his desire and seeing what God's done in spite of the fact that there's these horrible wars and horrible killings going on and he has to file his refugee status. God uses that to raise up someone to become a Christian to then go back into the Middle East and minister in a Muslim country. It's amazing 
how God uses sin and destruction and tragedy to still bring about his purposes and his plan. And so I was just so blown away at his story and, and how God is using him uh, to change that part of the world. So after we stayed in Dubai for a couple of days, we then drove a couple of hours to a town called Align, which I showed you on the map a while ago. And while in the country of Align, we met with uh, some missionaries that our church has sent over to that part of the world. And this is where we have a, there's a hospital called the Oasis Hospital. I have a picture of this as well. And uh, I just want to slide down that roof when I see that, don't you? It just looks like fun. Um, maybe a skateboard might work with that, I don't know. But, um, but this is a brand new wing of their hospital. It's actually a really nice building on the inside and the outside. And here's what's crazy about this hospital. This hospital, many, many years ago, was founded by, um, I think it was from either Canadian or as American missionaries. And they got one of the sheikhs there to go- donate a bunch of money. This guy was Muslim, but they got him to give a bunch of money. And they founded a Christian hospital in the middle of a Muslim country. And so the hospital has kind of grown and grown and grown and gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, I think the infant mortality rate in that part of the world was like 50%, meaning half the babies just die outright because of lack of health care. And the health care of the nation has improved and gotten better over the years. And so um, now there's a hospital there. That's, there's several hospitals there. Some hospitals there are kind of Muslim hospitals. This was a Christian hospital in the middle of a Muslim country. And what's crazy is we have two doctors that used to come to this church that felt called to go to that hospital to work and be doctors in that hospital. Uh, Tim Fincher's been there as an ophthalmologist there for, many, for I think, seven or eight years now. And then um, a friend of ours, Brenda McLaughlin, she's been there for six years, I believe. And Brenda is about 38 years old, and uh, she has now become the chief medical officer of this entire hospital. And so here you have one of our people serving at a Christian hospital in a Muslim country, and she has now risen to a level of influence where she can be the chief medical officer of this hospital in this city called Align. Pretty astounding uh, to see how God works and how God moves people along um, to influence people. Here's an example. Like you'll see in the lobby of this this, uh, hospital, this plaque where it says, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. And it's there in Arabic right above that. And so you have this gospel proclamation in the front lobby of this hospital in the middle of a Muslim country. And it's just amazing to see how God is using these people to speak his gospel there. My next picture is a picture of, this is a a view from the highest point of the UAE. And this is a point that kind of overlooks part of Oman and part of Align. And as you can see, um, there's just nothing. It's, it's the craziest thing. Like, you'll, you'll find yourself when you're driving around, you're like, how do people actually live here? Like, what, what was it that caused someone to say, like, yeah, let's, let's live here. Like, let's decide to set up shop right here, you know? And uh, you'll see these desert um, places that have nothing, like no, hardly any shrubs, nothing at all. And uh, then you'll see, like, a city just out of nowhere. This just built, you know, from 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 uh, from nothing, and uh, it's just amazing um, that anyone even even lives there. It gets to be 120 degrees in the summertime, and so you don't really go outside. You just 
stay inside or get in your car or go to the mall. Those are your options in the summertime. And so we were there. It was like 90 degrees some of the days. It was November, and it's like 90 degrees. And so it's very, very hot there, um, especially in the summertime. And so uh, from a line, we crossed the border over into the country of Oman. And this is where we have some friends that just, you guys met Brandon. He was here on the stage preaching to you a few months ago. Uh, Brandon Brewer and his wife, Sarah, and then Samantha and Wes Rogers also live there in Oman. It's just across the border from uh, the city of Alain in the UAE. And so for the next two years, the Brewers and Rogers are going to be in language school learning Arabic. And that's all they do. They're learning Arabic so they can get jobs and influence the culture there for the gospel. That's their whole mission in being there. And so they're learning Arabic when they're, they're for the first two years. Arabic is the third hardest language to learn in the world. And you can see by um, the writing I showed you a while ago, it just looks like scribbles, right? And, uh, but he's learning it very quickly and doing very, very well at learning it just conversationally and also just written, written language. And my next picture is a picture of Wes and Samantha Rogers that, are, that just got there a few weeks ago. And uh, they attended here at TBC. Now they're, they're going to be serving there for pretty much as, as long as they can for the next uh, couple of decades, they hope. And, uh, and the next picture is Brandon and Sarah Brewer. And they are, uh, Brandon's the guy that spoke here on the stage a while back, uh, just to tell you guys what he's going to be doing in the UAE. And Brandon just kind of shared with me some interesting things about friendship. Um, the way friendship is done in that part of the world is very different than here. So because it's so hot in the daytime there, people like to stay up late because it's nice and cool outside when the sun goes down. And so you'll see lots of socializing late, late, late into the evening. And so it's not uncommon to be driving past a park, and the parks are all very well lit there, and to see people out there at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning with their families just socializing. And so what happens is if you are someone as a Westerner coming in, the way they do friendship there is different. So they will, they expect you, if you're going to be a good friend, they expect you to hang out three, four times a week. That's the expectation. And if you don't, they'll see you as, well, you're probably not a good friend. They're just very, about, very much about community and very much about being together. And so Brandon's trying to balance the Western idea of, okay, I want to be a good father and a good husband which means you stay a lot, stay home a lot and help your wife and help your kids at night especially. And yet this pressure that people are inviting him out to do stuff and socialize, and if he doesn't, they will say to him, oh, I thought, you, I thought we were friends. You're, you're not being a good friend. This is what friends do in our country. And so be praying for him as he tries to navigate, like how do I walk this tightrope of what it means to be a good husband and father, but also what it means to be a friend to someone in that part of the world. One of the friends that he um, has met there, he asked his new Muslim friend, he said, hey, man, you, you need to come to Texas sometime and, uh, and visit, you know, when I go back to Texas. And, um, and the man said, keep in mind, this is a Muslim saying this in a Muslim country in the Middle East. His friend said, I would never go to Texas. And Brandon said, why? And he goes, I'm afraid I'll get shot. And so you see, we have perceptions of them, they have perceptions of us. Because all they hear about is mass shootings over here, right? 
That's all they hear about. And so you see it's different. I mean, it, it, like we, we think of them, we think of like fear. I never felt afraid one time when I was, when I was over there. I, I went for jogs in the morning. It was like no big deal. Um, that's not what I was expecting. And so um, it's just amazing how we, we get perceptions wrong in certain parts of the world. Um, the next picture is our team, part of our team in what's called, I'm not sure the Arabic name for this, but it's kind of like a living room. And every home there has like a room like this at the very at the front part of the house. And if you're a guest, you actually never see the rest of their house. So in the U.S., it's very common to say, hey, come on in and let me give you a tour of the house. Well, that never happens over there. Like all you see if you're a guest is that front room and that's it. It's got its own little bathroom off to the side. And this is like um, their receiving room or kind of like a parlor if you're in the south or kind of like a, a living room. And they don't have couches. They have those things. I'm not even sure what they're called. But, um, but you sit on those things and you socialize and you converse and you talk. And uh, so this is our team sitting there in one of those, actually in Brandon's home, uh, there in his receiving room. This next picture, get a glimpse of where the kids get to play. And uh, <laughs> so you can see landscaping businesses aren't really booming and thriving there in that part of the world. Um, but uh, they get to play, hey, hey, it's like the whole, the whole country is like a big sandbox. So it's great for little kids, right? And the homes have to have this wall around it so that the sand doesn't blow in um, more than they want it to. So that's where the, their kids would play at Brandon's house. The next picture I showed you last week, this is um, Wes on the left, Brandon on the right, and then uh, Yosef in the middle. Yosef is their language tutor, and they would, they would call Yosef their, their best friend in Oman right now. He knows English very, very well. He's very educated. And Yosef has become good friends with them. Yosef obviously is Muslim, and uh, they've become good friends with him. And when Yosef found out that Brandon had American friends coming over to see him, he said, he said, I must make them lunch. I must feed them. And so he had us into his home and never met the guy before, didn't know who he were, but he wanted us, he wanted to, to reach out to, um, to Brandon's friends. And so go to my next picture, and this is how we do lunch. He puts this plastic sheet on the floor. And I'm looking for the chairs going, are we going to sit in chairs? And it's like, no, no, you don't sit in chairs. So you, you put the plastic on the floor. And you can see that little bowl with the spoon sticking out of it. This is like an appetizer, and he just goes and he just dumps a spoon of it like in front of you on the plastic to each person, right? And I'm sitting there going like, well, what do I... Where's the fork and the spoon? And Yosef was like, he goes, he goes in, in, in Oman, this is fork and spoon. <laughs> and so, yeah, you eat. You take your right hand and you scoop your food up and you eat with your hands like this. And just, you look like a little baby. <laughs> you get it all over your face and your shirt and everything. It doesn't matter. And, uh, and then the bowls in the middle, like that's rice and chicken eat it the same way. You just dig your hand in and you start eating it. That's how they eat. That's normal for them. And so we're trying to honor his culture and not freak out about it. <laughs> and so that's how he, he fed us in his home. And then um, I want to show just, I need to have a, a guy volunteer who's like very secure in his masculinity um, up on stage. Just, it won't take long, just real quick. I know I kind of front loaded that statement there, but you're like, what's it going to be? Just one, one guy. 
I got to show you this. No, it's not. You will not be harmed. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. Okay, so I'm going to show you the proper Emirati male greeting. All right? Now, I'm not going to kiss you. I'm not going to kiss you. There's no kissing involved here. But um, are you ready? Okay, so this is what it would look like for a proper Emirati male greeting, all right? He freaked out, man. So what you do is you, you shake hands, and then you lean in, and you touch noses. And then they kind of make this little, like, little kissing sound, but they don't kiss you. They just kind of, like, little kissing sound, right? And if you're really close to someone, you do it three times, touch three times. So we're pulling up to Yosef's house, and I knew this was the greeting, so I was like, I was like, Brandon, I was like, what's the greeting going to be? And he's like, it'll be a standard. I was like, okay, good. I, I, I want to know this before I go into it, you know? And so um, Yosef, he leans in to each one of us and does the greeting, and we were, we were prepared for it. And had we not been, it would have been a really bad situation, right? Like, what are you doing, you know? What, get away from me. <laughs> so um, I was prepared, though, for this greeting. And uh, so I didn't know I went to the desert to get Eskimo kisses, but that's what happened. And yes, and uh, so that's how you greet someone. So I thought we could try that for a week in the Outback to see how it goes. So you guys can work on that. Um, now, it's got to be guys greeting guys. I don't want to see the guys being like, come here, girl. Let me, you know. Like, we don't want any of that. That's not what we're going to do here, okay? So just so you're aware. Um, so let's keep this, you know, in-house here. Um, and then, uh, so I'll get back into this a little bit more. I'll talk more about the UAE in a moment. But turn to uh, Psalm 146 for a moment. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here. We're almost done. I want to finish here very quickly so we can get on to this uh, um, lunch today. So... Look at Psalm 146. We're talking about, we've been talking about honest worship in this series. And uh, I want to pull some things out of this passage in, in Psalm 146. Look at verses 1 and 2. And it says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And so this, these first two verses, this would be like a congregational worship song in, uh, in Israel. And there is a call to praise God, but there's also this call. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, meaning that this must come from the depths of your being, not just, we don't just slap praise onto our life externally, but it should come from within, come from the soul, your inner being as a worshiper of God. And um, if you, I read an article this week by a preacher on this passage. He says, if God is not praised, that means he is not known. So if someone truly knows God, they're going to naturally praise God. And so if God is not praised, then he is not known. And so we're going to naturally praise him if we know him. The strange thing about praise, I know some people that are not believers would say, well, um, why should we praise God? I mean, isn't it considered cocky and arrogant for a human to demand that someone praise them? So then why is it okay for God to demand praise or want to be praised? That's a great question, but here's what I would say to that. Um, 
if your friend came to you and said, I need you to praise me, like you would think to yourself, well, that doesn't seem right. That just doesn't seem right for me to do. That seems kind of arrogant and cocky for someone to ask me that question. And I would say to you that the reason why that feels wrong is because there's something deep inside of us that just knows someone else is supposed to get the credit, not me. I'm going to tell you that's God that you're thinking about. This is why it is even an atheist doesn't like the cocky, arrogant person. Because everyone knows deep inside that we should not get credit for whatever we are. That someone else should get the credit. And that, that person, I think, needs to be God, of course. But um, So this is why I think someone who's not even a believer will, will not like it when someone is, is arrogant or cocky in just how they live. And so we praise God because he's the only one who's truly worthy of it. This is why we praise him. Look at verse 3. He says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Another quote that I read this week, if we do not put our trust in God, then we naturally put our trust in man. Every single person will put their trust in someone or something. And so I saw this um, part of the verse where it says, put not your trust in princes. Now I want to go back to some discussion about um, the UAE because when I saw, this is partly why I chose this passage today because I wanted to talk about the trip. But if there's ever a place that puts their trust in royalty and in princes and in influence and in power, it's the place that I just came from, the UAE, one of the places. And we do the same thing here in our country, just differently. But I want to show you just some things about the country, the UAE, and, and help you understand kind of the picture of, of the kind of place it is. Um, you've seen some of these pictures. And uh, the, here's some sort of fun facts about um, Dubai, where I just was. So here's a real picture of, of um, what's called the Burj Khalifa. This is the world's tallest building. It is a half mile tall. Huge building. And we were there. Um, there's a mall right there on the right, sort of lower right side of your screen. And we're there um, the last six hours of our trip. This building is so tall. So during the month of Ramadan, where Muslims fast from sunup to sundown, you can't eat food until you can't see the sun anymore. So if you live on the 80th floor of this building, you're fasting on, the day of, on one of the days of Ramadan has to be two minutes longer than someone on the bottom floor because you can still see the sun for two minutes extra. That's how tall the building is in, uh, in, at the Burj Khalifa. The next picture is a picture of some of their, their, their man-made islands that you may have seen. Um, if there's ever a place that has the spirit of Babel running through it, it's this place. Because they just, like, make stuff. Like, we don't have we'll make islands. We'll just man-make islands and build stuff on it and sell lots for homes and mansions, right? It's what they do there. Um, next picture is a typical UAE mansion. You see mansions like this all over the place. Neighborhoods, just blocks of them uh, in, in certain parts of the city. Um, you would see, I never saw this particular police car, but one of their police cars is a Lamborghini. Right? Go to my next picture here. So one of their police cars is a Lamborghini because someone's got to be able to pull over the other Lamborghinis. Right? So can you imagine like being pulled over by this guy? And like him writing, I'd be like, can I have your autograph? <laughs> you know? Um, 
He's like, you will on the bottom of the ticket, right? Uh, so um, you see that. And then they have ATMs that dispense gold bars. Who knew? Um, there is a, yeah, there, the Dubai Mall is, uh, go to my next slide. This is the Dubai Mall. It is four stories tall. It's the size of 50 football fields if you stack them all together. And 200,000 people visit this mall per day, every day. Um, the next picture is the Dubai Mall Aquarium. This is the largest indoor aquarium in the world. They also have, just in case you're shopping and you're tired of shopping, and just in case you want to go skiing, you can go skiing indoors at the Dubai Mall. Now, I know the Temple Mall is great, but this place has an indoor ski place in the mall. And here's the craziest thing about this. Listen, listen. So even though they have all these crazy things in that country, and they're building more and more and more as we speak, they have this understanding that eventually it's probably just all going to run out. It's like they know that there's an end to all this, but they're living large right now. And so one of their sheikhs said this quote. Watch. Go to my next slide. My grandfather rode a camel. My father rode a camel. I drive a Mercedes. My son drives a Land Rover. My son, his son will drive a Land Rover, but his son will ride a camel. It's as if they just know that eventually it's just all going to run out. And so the scriptures say you cannot put your trust in princes. You cannot put your trust in influence and power and wealth and the things of this world. Go to my next uh, verse here, verse 5 and 6. It says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. So as you guys watch those pictures on the screen, what wowed you about those things is the fact that man made those things. You're like, wow, that's amazing that man could do that. And how often are we so impressed by what man has made and so unimpressed or underimpressed by what God has made? And so instead of putting our trust in princes, in, verse, in this verse it says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God who made heaven and earth. We are so often impressed by people and unimpressed by God and what God has made, what God has done with his hands. It blows my mind. Look at verse 7. It says, Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. When I read verse 7 and 8, I thought, again, another perfect passage for what's going to take place in here today as we feed people and we give them gifts and we do it because God, it's a reflection of God's character and who he is as our God. And so we don't do it because to make ourselves look great. We do it to make him look great because that's part of who he is. It's his character. And I want you to hone in on one phrase. We'll wrap up here in a minute. And it's the phrase, he opens the eyes of the blind. Because most of us think of like physical blindness, like God, yeah, God heals the blind. He heals physical blindness. That's true. He does. And he did his miracles in um, the Gospels. But Another way in which he heals blindness is spiritual blindness. 
and we discussed this before. And so our last night in Dubai, we'd gone to this mall, and I bought my wife some gifts, my kids some gifts. And we're now in the airport, and our flight leaves at 1 a.m. in the morning to fly from Dubai all the way to Washington, D.C., a 16-hour flight. And so I'm kind of mentally preparing for this long, long flight. I'm sitting in the Dubai airport, and there are three Americans. Two of them are friends. One guy they had just met, and they're sitting next to me in the little waiting areas before we get on the plane in the airport. And I can tell right away, these guys are loud. They're kind of boisterous. They've probably been partying a lot the last few days in Dubai. It's known kind of as a party town. And one just starts unashamedly just talking about to the other guy as loud as he could just all their sexual exploits over the last 10 days in Dubai. And I'm sitting right next to one of the guys just kind of listening. And talking about prostitutes and just on and on and on they went, American guys. And I just couldn't help but just as my, my gut reaction was just one of like revulsion and one of just like, what in the world? Like what? I just felt like I wanted to throw up, like hearing these guys talk. And on the plane ride, I just began praying like, God, would you save these men? Would you set them free? Would you, would you release them from the bondage that they're in? And then I felt convicted because I thought about as I'm revulsed by them and their sin, I'm reminded that it's only because God has taken the scales off of our eyes that we can even see spiritually. It's only because of the miracle he's done in our lives that we can even acknowledge him as God and as Savior. And so I want to leave you with this, that if you struggle with being spiritually prideful or looking down on someone else or being revulsed by someone in their sin, just acknowledge that it's only because he did a miracle in my heart and in your heart that we're not the exact same way. Like, it is not to my credit that I wasn't the other guy in the airport that day. That glory goes to God and Him alone. And so as we think through what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christian, we have to acknowledge that it is God who does the work. God sets us free. God is the one that gets rid of our blindness. I'll close with verse 9 and 10, and I'll pray and we'll be done. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. God, we just thank you so much for that you're a God who does set prisoners free. You're a God who does care for the oppressed. You're a God who does heal blind people spiritually and physically. We pray, God, that um, as we're about to um, feed people in here and also give gifts in here as well, that this whole thing would point to you. This whole thing would point to who you are and your character, not to us. We pray that if anyone here today, a part of our group, does not know you, that they would acknowledge you as Savior. They would want to have you be Lord and King of their life. They would give their life to you this morning, Father. They would just cry out to you and pray to you and confess sin to you. 
knowing that you're the only one who can help them see spiritually. We pray that happens in our hearts this morning, Father. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, guys, do us a favor. If you can clear off the trash off your tables.